Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Susan Naomi Bernstein about the history of basic writing programs, challenges and advantages of basic writing, educational justice, and future directions for basic writing studies. Susan Naomi Bernstein lives and works in Queens, New York. From 2013 to 2018, she co-coordinated the Stretch Writing Program at ASU Tempe and taught writing and literacy study courses in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Texas. She co-facilitates a writing workshop at a senior center in Queens and has worked as a teaching artist for writers in the schools in Houston, Texas. Her book is Teaching Developmental Writing, 4th edition, and she writes a blog for Bedford Bits. Her other publications include Theory and Practice, Halloween Write-In, and Basic Writing E-Journal, and Unconventional Education in the Journal of Basic Writing, and Occupy Basic Writing, and the collection Composition in the Age of Austerity. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. I'd like to start by talking about basic writing programs and the history of basic writing. Do you mind providing a brief history of basic writing programs in higher education? The history of of basic writing programs or BW programs in higher education intersects with social movements for reparations and restorative justice for ongoing and historical educational and social injustice. So in the 1960s, BW was part of a movement to create equitable access to higher education for BIPOC poor and working class queer and disabled and other people who were historically closed out of post-secondary institutions by the material realities of white supremacist and elitist ideologies of higher education. So that said, I would suggest that there are many histories of basic writing and that much depends on who is writing those histories and how basic writing's historical contexts are evoked. For example, histories recounted by students and teachers of basic writing might be framed and would be framed quite differently from basic writing histories written by writing program administrators. Additionally, any history of basic writing in higher education needs to be grounded in a clear understanding of historic and ongoing inequities in K-12 public schooling in the United States. So by the second decade of the 21st century right now, many four-year colleges have eliminated basic writing, and many two-year colleges no longer offer, no longer offer open admissions. For, so, for, so in beginning with K-12 public school histories, I would recommend Bettina L. Love's book, We Were Never Meant to Do More Than Survive, Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom, I'm reading that right now. It's amazing. I, I, I love it. I've been waiting for a book like this. It's just, it really pulls so much together. And then Valerie Kinluck's book, Harlem on Our Minds, Race, Place, and the Literacies of Urban Youth. For a history of, be- of basic writing grounded in U.S. social justice movements, I would recommend Condor Thomas Reed's article, The Early Formations of Black Women's Studies and the Lives of Tony K. Bambara, June Jordan and Andre Lord. And what, what Reed does is that he doesn't look at it from a writing studies perspective. He looks at it, uh, the perspective of social movements at City University of New York. And that's what it is. It's a basic writing grew out of social movements. 
really kind of look at what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so if you're saying that, as I've often heard people say about basic writing, oh, well, it's too late, or, you know, we just shouldn't, it was an experiment that failed. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? It's about what what Bettina Love focuses on potentiality, right? It's not about numbers. It's not about enrollment management. It's not about you know, kind of isolating, I'd say, oops, well, this doesn't look so good. So let's move a little money around. I've seen this so many places. And let's get rid of things that could be looked at as, as remedial. Rather than redefining it, rather than making it more assets-based, it's instead, well, we don't want anything that looks like a deficit in any way. It's not working. So we're just going to just, just going to toss the whole thing rather than trying to think about, well, what do we need to do to make it better so that it is more inclusive, more equitable, and more diverse, and that it it envelops, it works with, it is informed by more folks rather than fewer. And moving from that, I would additionally recommend, and this has been informing everything I've done for the last four years, um, I would recommend James Baldwin's activist writing on bearing witness to Black lives and white suppressed supremacy, especially his collected essays, the American Library edition that Toni Morrison edited, and his previously uncollected essays in The Cross of Redemption. I love that book. What are some of the biggest challenges to basic writing programs? So the most significant challenge is that the burdens of administrators are borne by students and teachers of basic writings. This isn't new with me. Mina Shaughnessy wrote about this half a century ago, and not in Errors and Expectations, which of course is problematic, but her essays and her speeches and her writing, um, in outside of Errors and Expectations, it uses words like democracy, it uses it identifies problems that we also now are facing. So half a century ago, Mina Shaughnessy identified the problems of basic writing or the challenges were being borne by students and teachers and and under and under unfunded mandates basically among those burdens is the misperception of basic writing as remediation basic writing courses need to be fully funded and to be offered with full credit for graduation and transfer that's a big big problem and that made them easier to eliminate. Also, you just chop off that, the no credit end of it, and your problem solved. You think your problem is solved, but so something like directed self-placement, also not unproblematic, but nevertheless, if, if it creating, creating a system that's as fair as possible with, with fully funded support services for tutoring, advising, counseling, an unimpeded access to healthcare, food, and housing. I'm sure I'm leaving out other things as well. This would be, for me, the ideal model. You just, the whole person, right? I mean, the whole student and communities. Concurrently, basic writing courses and support services would be informed by a deep, deep awareness of racial and economic injustice and the intersectional needs of queer and disabled people and people from religious minorities. And here I'm going to go a little autobiographical on you. Um, I, it's always hard for me to know whether I should bring up um, 
it's not about me, but I have a much clearer understanding of, of the whys of why I got involved in this. So, so I have, um, ADHD and generalized anxiety that weren't diagnosed until I was 15 years out of grad school. And so I had no accommodations, which is why I'm such a big believer in them. It, because so, but the other thing about that was that it, in kindergarten in the 1960s, they were doing lots of experiments with us, right? But w- one of the things that, that, that I was able to be involved in was back when I started school, they weren't teaching kindergartners how to read as a matter of course, they, they came later. Because of my hyper-focus on things like books and magazines and, and um, things like that, they thought, oh, well, let's put Susan in this, in this experimental class where we're teaching kids how to read. And so that saved me. That, that, that saved me because I learned how to read and learned how to write and once I did that and we left that school district and learned, moved to a much more conservative school district that wasn't doing anything like this, they, um, they were like, whoa, like you're sort of ahead of grade level. And that saved me. When other things started tanking, it was the literacy stuff that, that, and I was like, whoa, that's like super important. And so the other part is, is that back in the 60s and 70s, there was something that we're totally missing now. College was to, needs to be free, as CUNY was for many folks until um, 1976, or more fully subsidized. The op- free is better, obviously, but more fully subsidized by state and federal funding. And that's how it was for me. When I was an undergraduate in the late 1970s, one third of my tuition was paid for by a needs-based state scholarship. While I still had loan debt, the indebtedness was much less onerous than student indebtedness in subsequent generations, and now especially. Students' financial burdens and family responsibilities are an additional challenge for, for basic writing programs, I mean, invisible. Not invisible to many of us, but invisible to some folks who are making decisions. If my dad hadn't had access in, in to, to low-cost education a generation before me coming out of, of New Deal stuff, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I mean, that stuff is intergenerational and, and significant. And it breaks my heart isn't the right word. Enrages is a better word. It enrages me that that's gone. It, it just enrages me now that the, it's more necessary than ever it's also more absent you co-coordinated the stretch writing program at asu tempe from 2013 to 2018 can you talk about the advantages of this model programs like stretch which at asu tempe offered full credit for an extended two semester version of first year writing were one means of offering reparations for long-standing inequitable conditions of K through 12 public schools. Unfortunately, I'm I'm going to have to talk about stretch in the past tense because at the end of this academic year, 2021, stretch will be dissolved and eliminated from ASU writing programs. And so students were placed in stretch through standardized test test scores. And that's a practice which is rightly perceived as structurally racist. And so it's good to get rid of that part, but it's only for stretch for U.S. high school grads, GED recipients. And I know I'm leaving out other folks that that impacts, but stretch 
for international students, we'll still use test scores to place people, and you'll be able to place into honors writing at ASU, honors first year writing through your test scores. So it's only being eliminated for one one group of folks. Although directed self-placement might might work, might work really well for a program like Stretch, this option isn't going to be used. The reasons for given for eliminating Stretch include the explicit racism of test score placement and that the existence of Stretch perpetuated structurally racist practices. So I'm struggling with that one. Stretch was one of the few programs that offered full credit. It, it, I mean, back in, you know, in my own coming up. And Stretch was before ALP, for instance. And it, and so it's, it's extended time, which I'm going to talk about in, in a sec here. So what Stretch did really was offer extended time for writing practice over two semesters with full credit for graduation and transfer for each semester. Because of historic and ongoing inequalities in U.S. public schooling, extensive writing practice might be absent, or is often absent, from K-12 through public school education, and it, again, even more so now with remote learning, um, with folks not having access. So Mina Shaughnessy called basic writing compensatory education to address the inequities in public schooling that create historic and ongoing barriers to public higher education. An extended time might sound familiar because it's usually used as an accommodation recommended for people with disabilities um, for school and for employment. However, extended time, it's not referenced in the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 or the, amended, the amendments from 2008. The ADA does address the fact that redress is needed for schedules and policies that block equitable access to education and employment for people with disabilities. In that regard, extended time might be seen as a best practice of universal design. And so that's the thing about the curb cuts that benefit people without disabilities, um, people who are pushing children in strollers, pulling suitcases on wheels, and so on, extended time serves students who for any reason benefit from changes to entrenched schedules and policies. In other words, but what I'm thinking is that extended time allows a person with disabilities to do the same job as everybody else, to earn, to have access to the same, the same degree, the same benefits, the same, you could say, it, it allows for those, those kinds of experiences, but it, it extends it so that you have more time to take it in, more time to practice if you need it. The need for equitable access to extended time for writing practice is deeply inter intersectional, obviously. Your teaching and research interests center on language, race, and educational justice. What does it look like to take an educational justice approach to teaching basic writing? Oh, wow. So... It's really linked to my suggestions for reading in, in basic writing histories. And my philosophy of educational justice draws deeply on the work of Bettina Love, Valerie Kinlock, and James Baldwin, of course, as well as on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s conception of beloved community, which is what we've been working on in class for a long, long time. So it's Dr. King's concept, and then the philosophy behind it is enacted really well by John Lewis's idea of, of causing um, good trouble 
and then Bernard Lafayette's idea of the, the work he's done with the Selma Center for Nonviolence and Reconciliation, the journey and not the destination. So this singular space of reading, writing, teaching, learning that, that happens embodies the process of beloved community in, in, in classrooms, whether face to face, which I dearly miss and, and, but it also has to happen in remote learning too. So one of the things I did was I compiled a video archive of students multimedia work in response to our coursework from face to face learning. I went back through my archives, I digitalized from the spring of 2004 to the spring of 2020 um, in face to face learning. And um, I made a video from um, those multimedia compositions that were done in response to coursework. Also, that includes um, for a year and a half, I taught with students from the Gila River Indian community um, in, in South Central Arizona as part of my responsibilities at ASU. I was an outsider coming in with so much to learn. What's the future of basic writing studies or what future directions would you like to see scholarship and basic writing programs take? It's gotta be. It started out as action research and activist practice. This is what Bettina Love talks about, what Valerie Kim Love talks about. This is what it's gotta be. This is what it's gotta be. It's gotta be informed by current and ever-evolving, our current and ever-evolving historical moment. It's gotta be involved it's got to be an, in, with an understanding of what happened and why it didn't work. And and folks working on it have to be unafraid to challenge what they have to be. And, and I was, I say unafraid and I totally, you know, I'm like shaking all the time. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't say it right. Because it's it's like I'm going to use the word sacred because it involves potential. Right. It involves something that's larger than us that's larger than enrollment management, that's larger than universities. It, that it involves the whole of the culture, all of our history and all of what is going to come. So as a teacher it's, and as an administrator, it's gotta involve your whole self and be informed by your life. And that means that you have to look at your life in the way that Baldwin talks about to really as it, for white people especially to look at our own histories and where are the gaps and absences what are the stories we've been telling ourselves and what is missing from those stories and it's got to be informed by that and and most of all I'm leaving out the most important part it's got to be it's got to be centered on students and what students need and where students are coming from and what they bring with them, it's gotta not be a deficit thing. It's got, it, 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 you, we gotta, we have to stop looking at it as deficit model. It's gotta be like the Tina Love says, it's gotta be an assets based model. And that's what, that, that's what I see it as. I think all the places, all the points where it failed were the, oh, well, you know, the idea of it was a failed experiment or, you know, it was too late for for folks. And some of the reading that I've been doing, I went back and I read about what CUNY was like 
before open admissions. And I read some of the arguments in regular New York Times articles that are not so different from now um, in the early 1960s about what CUNY was like before. And in reading James Baldwin's bi biographical um, history stuff, that it, he at one point had thought about going to City College, but he couldn't get in because he didn't have an academic diploma. He worked when he was in high school and he went to an elite high school. Most of his classmates were Jewish. And Stan Lee was graduated from the same high school um, a couple of years before him. But he had to work. He had eight brothers and sisters. He had to help support them. And he was growing up at, in in Harlem. And and his family was working class and a, a lot of a lot of suffering. And but City College had a requirement of I believe it was an A minus average and what was called at that time an academic diploma, which would now probably be called a regent's diploma if I'm remembering right. And he couldn't go. In a way that was good for him because he was able to leave us so much and in another way he shouldn't have had to suffer and no one should have to suffer. I'm not even sure if it would be called basic writing even, but what it should be doing is alleviating suffering and not contributing to it. So everything needs to be offered for credit or the credit system needs to be imagined. I was the beneficiary of much work that was pass-fail. It meant it gave, it gave room to experiment and to find out more about what education could be. And that's what that's what the future has to be. We, it's got to be equity, inclusion, diversity. It can't just be performative. It's got to be enacted. It's got to be a real thing and imbued in everything. I've got to ask, what would you call it? Obviously, the label basic writing can be problematic. The same can be said for developmental writing. So if you had to rename basic writing with something that better reflects its core values and potentiality, what would it be? I don't sort of want to say life, everything. You know, I don't want to do that, right? I don't want to be all woo-woo about it. Um, I'm also trying to think, well, what would students, what would students want? Because with, with every label that we've given it that sounded really good, like basic writing did back when Nina Shaughnessy was working on it, it sounded great then, but now, of course, with time, so I guess I would want to leave it open for every community to create what it needs, for communities and conversation to create what they need, rather than have it be administratively imposed. So it would be horizontally organized in a perfect world. It would be consensus-based. It also it also offers hope for the future. And so that's why it's gotta come from communities and conversation with each other. To give it a name and an administrative level, administrative title, I mean, or category of education means that it's easy to get rid of. So um, Ibram Kendi talks about good policy, right? Anti-racist policy. It's gotta be inclusive, not just as performative, but as like a real thing. You are great. We all need to be making it, making history, our students, us together. We, all of us together, have to work together to make history, to create history that probably in future generations, people will tear apart and tell us everything we did wrong. And yay, good, you know, 
but 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 it's got there's got to be a record of it there's got to be a record of it and we all have to contribute to it and no one person can do it alone thanks susan and thank you pedagogue listeners and followers until next time